Uh, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to James chapter 3. Now, uh, as you know, again, you know, I, I say it every week just as a reminder. It's like, you know, James, it's a hard-hitting book. It's like getting into the ring with, with a heavyweight champion of the world, right? It, it's like you, know, you don't necessarily see the punch coming, but you feel it. And it's not, not only that, but it's, it's not heady, it's not high, it's not hard to understand. The book of James is very simple. He doesn't speak in really poetic language. He doesn't speak with a lot of um, hard to understand things. When he uses illustrations, they're illustrations that are very common and very easy to understand. So I always kind of liken it to um, cookies being on the coffee table, right? You, you put the cookies on the coffee table, who's going to eat it? Every little kid, every toddler, anybody can reach down and grab that cookie and eat it, right? If you want to keep the cookies away from the toddlers, where do you put them? Up on the refrigerator, okay? Uh, Peter said of Paul that his epistles were, some of the things that he said were hard to understand. That was coming from an apostle, right? Some, some of the things that Paul describes, very true, and through study, you can definitely comprehend and understand where he's coming from, but some of them, you kind of think of them as being up on the, um, on the refrigerator. You have, to, you have to make an effort to get there, and me being a kid who had a really big sweet tooth, I know when my mom hid stuff on the refrigerator, I could still get to it, but I had to bring a chair over, stand up on that, put a box on it, stand up on that, and then I can reach up and grab it. One time, one time I had even climbed up on the refrigerator, and I fell off, and my shorts got snagged on the freezer door, and I was hanging from it. Remember, Mom? Remember that one? And I was hanging, and I was like, ah! <laughs> that, that, true story. True story. I got caught. Yeah. And <laughs> right? And so there I was hanging. Well, you know, some, sometimes we feel like that with uh, the epistles of Paul, right? We're just like, I'm caught up there, and I'm like, man, I was just trying to get a cookie. And we get hung out to dry. But James is not like that. James is a very simple book to understand. It's, it's not difficult at all. It, it is exhortation. That, that really is what this is. He is exhorting the body of Christ. He's exhorting believers how to walk in maturity. How to, to not, he, he's just kind of reaffirming the simple things that we already know. But again, those are the hardest things. The things that I do understand about the scriptures to love my neighbor as myself. Man, is that not the hardest thing to fulfill? It's the easiest thing in the scripture to know. It's like, hey, you know what? All of the law and all the prophets are summed up in this one thing. Love my neighbor. And it's like, man, why is that the hardest thing to do? Right? Those are the people who get on our nerves. Those are the people that we want to be snappy at. Those are the people that we want to be like, rah, too. Right? I understand it. It's very difficult to apply it to my life. And the book of James is just like that, right? It's not difficult to understand the exhortations that James is giving us, but it is very, very difficult to apply it. And in some ways, it's impossible to apply it. It's only by the help of the Holy Spirit that we are able to really keep these things and do these things, especially on a consistent basis. So uh, James kind of got onto uh, last uh, week we were on faith without works is dead, right? And remember, what, do you guys remember what the most important word in that section of Scripture is? Do you guys remember? Says. Thank you. Says. Right. Somebody who says that they have faith but does not have works. That that faith. Can that faith save you? No, remember I, I even said that I, I wrote it, in, I write it into my Bible. I have the little par, par, uh, parenthetical, uh, can this kind of uh, faith save you? Right, I, I kind of added that in just to give clarification of what is actually being said. It's not an actual word in Greek, it's, it would be italicized, but I kind of added my own because it's like, you know, a person who says they have faith, but they don't have works, can this faith save you? Can this kind of faith save you? A faith that is not... Um, proven uh, a faith that is not uh showing itself in a change of life and the answer is no 
there, there is no assurance of salvation if, if there is no change. You know, if you say, if you go right you know, on Friday, when, you know, somebody goes down onto the Harvest Crusade field and they're there with tears in their eyes and, and just like slobber in their beard and the whole bit, cry out to God and, oh Lord, please forgive me a sinner, oh I believe, and, and they sit there, they do the whole thing and then they leave the Harvest Crusade and for the rest of life they continue to go to the nudie bar. Is there any evidence that that was real and it wasn't just an emotional experience? No, there's not. Okay, so, so James was talking about this, the, the power and even the deceitfulness of words, of just speaking, you know, and just speaking isn't enough, right? He said even the demons speak and say, remember Jesus, many times he'd come into a synagogue and like a demon-possessed person would come up and the demons would say, you know, oh, you son of the most high God, uh, and they would like fall at his feet and worship him. Now that's not worship like, like, oh, I'm praising you. It's worship like bowing down before him. Even Legion, remember that guy who was filled with the 2,000 plus demons, right? Same thing, bow down before Jesus. He said, even the demons do that, and they fear and tremble. He said, it's not enough just to speak. Well, today we're going to be, he's going to continue on. The exhortation about our words is going to continue. And it's very challenging because now, as we're coming into this, I want you to think of anybody here ever been in a situation where you're talking to somebody, and it's like, Maybe you're getting in an argument with your husband, your wife, a child, an employer, anybody, right? And it's like they're saying things and they're pushing all your buttons and then it's welling up inside of you and you know what you want to say and it's like it's right on the tip of your tongue and the devil goes, is this what you want to say? And you're like, yes, yes, yes it is, yes it is. And it's like, and you're like biting your tongue and it's like you want to say it with all of your strength, you want to say it and then it's like something's telling you don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Anybody ever been there? How hard is it to hold back that word? How hard is it to hold back? Yeah, th- think about like, you know, husbands, your wife is like railing on you. And it's like this rah, 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 rah. And like, what do you want to do? You want to come back and you want to say things that are going to like basically pummel her, but more than, ha- than what she pummeled you, right? Like you want to come back. And ladies, same thing. Your husband says something to you, gives you a real zinger. And also it's just like, you say, oh yeah, well you did this. And you like, and you like come back. Right, But everything in you is telling you, don't say it. Don't say it. Earlier in James, we, we, we learned you'll be quick to listen and slow to speak. Right? That means you have to have the filter. Put the filter up. And, and many times, man, my filter's way too big. I need a much finer filter. Right? Sometimes we need that filter, but it's, like, man, it's tough. You're like, oh, you're like this. Well, he's going to describe to us the reality of our tongue. Right tonight, we're going to see the reality of what the tongue is and how it works and, and what it can do. So um, let's go ahead uh, tonight. We're going to read through the whole passage, then we're going to come back and break it down. Um, it's another zinger tonight. I'm telling you, James, he hits hard. He's a hard hitter, and this is tough. But you know what? It's good. It's a good exhortation. So uh, let's just jump right in. Chapter three, verse one. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or a mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires." Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, 
a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, already it has challenged me just reading it. And yet, Lord, we know that all things are possible through you. So, Lord, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Please take these things, help us apply them to our lives, Lord, and help us to have victory over this little unruly beast called our tongue. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, he begins his exhortation to teachers. Well, actually, to all of us. How many of you guys teach uh, either a Bible study, children's ministry, something? How many of you guys teach in here? Man, I'm so sorry for you guys. I am so sorry. You guys understand by what I just read uh, the ramifications of that, right? You have a stricter judgment. Uh Uh-oh. That means we have a different grading scale than everybody else. When you come up here, and me, unfortunately, I have the tightest uh, grading curve because, unfortunately, here I am. I am ministering to you. The Lord has put uh, this flock, the responsibility of this church, under my care. And so... As I exhort you, boy, if I'm not doing it, man, I'm going to hear it, right? Every single, we're going we're gonna to read, every single idle word is going to be, well, brought up by the Lord, right? We are going to, every single idle word, we are going to give an account. We think, wait a second, wait a second, that's the non-believers, right? Yes, the non-believers are going to have their whole life. They will be judged according to that. And they, and they will be thrown into Gehenna because of that, because they rejected the blood of Jesus Christ. But we, as believers, will also give an account for every single word we say, every single thought we think, every single act we have done. How many of that makes you have a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart? Nobody? Nobody's raising their hand. You know, I, I, was, I was actually thinking about it today. And it's like, you know what, Lord? If you came back today, would I be ashamed? Well, I know there's a lot of stuff in my past that I'd be ashamed about. I don't want to be ashamed about anything today. So, Lord, I'm really going to try really hard uh, to, to, to love my brothers. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, I, I need to love my neighbors. And uh, yeah, yeah. We shall receive a stricter judgment. This is a, an absolute... Um, in Luke 12, 47, uh, this is the parable of the two stewards. Remember, there was also, we, we read this in Matthew, actually, uh, just the other day. Um, and this, in Luke's gospel, he kind of gives one final exhortation uh, within that parable, and this is it. I want to read it to you. Luke 12, 47, for those of you who are taking notes. He says, And that servant who knew his master, remember, so there was the two stewards. One was the good, one was the evil. One, his master found so doing when he came back, giving out the food in due time to his fellow servants. And the other one said, My Lord is slack in his coming. And so he began to beat his fellow servants, and he began to eat and drink with the drunkards. 
And then his master came back at, at a time that uh, he was not looking for him. And then his master ooh, cut him in two and threw him out and assigned him his portion with the non-believers. Yeah, that's these. So now Jesus continues and he gives his last exhortation. He says, and that servant who knew, now know that, he knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. All, what does that mean? What are we saying here? If you're teaching, guess what? You're in the word, at least you're responsible to be in the word. You are sharing the word with others and you know your master's will, right? By knowing your master's will, then if you don't do your master's will, guess what? When you stand before the Lord, you have a greater judgment. You will have a stricter judgment. The more time you spend in the word of God, if you don't apply it to your life, this, man, this is a bad thing. I'm going to lose a lot of people here. Um, church might be a little bit smaller next week. Um, the more that you, time you spend in the word of God and don't apply it to your life, the more you will be responsible for and the stricter your judgment will be. You can't say, you can't stand before the Lord like, I didn't know. Didn't you teach a Bible study on that very principle last week? Uh, yeah. Right? We should, we should tell Jared that, right? He, you know, spending his 5 a.m. To, to 2 p.m. Dude, guess what you're doing, man? You better apply everything you've learned. Because if you don't, you're in trouble, boy. Right? The same thing with me. I'm in the Word. Part of my job is to be in the Word, right? To, to prepare. So it's like, I sit there and think, it's like, man, I just hope I get a crown. Maybe like a little, little thing of brass or something. I mean, something. Right? But it's like, you know what? It's so important that, that we make sure that... that w- we are responsible for the things we know. It's not enough just to read the Bible, right? That only gives you, you know, a greater accountability before the Lord. He says, so he goes, don't let many of you become teachers knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. He says, for we all stumble in many things. How many of you stumble in many things? Right? There we go. Man, bummer. Okay. We will all stumble. You know, there's so many people who, who like say, oh, you know what? I don't want to do that because I might fail. Well, you know what? You will fail. Don't worry about that. Don't let that stop you because the Lord is in the habit. He's in, I mean, honestly, if he wants anything done on the earth that he doesn't do directly himself, he has to use people who are going to fail because all of us are failures. So we will fail. We will stumble. Make no mistake. But those of us who teach, we have a greater accountability. Why? Because of hypocrisy, really. You know, in the end, if I tell you to be holy, I say, hey, you, be holy, do right. And I'm over here like stealing from the church, you know, offering plate. Guess what? Uh-oh, hypocrisy. Uh-oh, I know better. I know my master's will. And I'm telling you to do something that I am not willing to do myself. And well, you know what? That, um, that is a greater assault against the righteousness of God. Right now, if you don't know any better and you steal from the offering plate and people do that, you know, people, sometimes the offering plate goes by and people will take money out instead, right? That happens. But you know what? if that person has like no real knowledge of God, then you know what? I think God will be very lenient and graceful in that manner, right? So, you know, the way we kind of apply this principle in our house uh, is with our girls and spankings. I, I will say we spank, absolutely. We don't have to spank very often, but we do spank. And the way we do it, when our child is below one year, no spankings, okay? We, that kind of stuff. When they turn one, if they do an offense, now it's not, it, you know, they do an offense, that's not a big deal. It's willful disobedience, 
that, that brings a spanking. Right? It has to be willful disobedience. They know our will, and then they break it intentionally. Okay, that'll bring a spanking. If they're one year old, they get one swat. If they're two years, they get two swats. If they're three years, they get three swats. If they're four years, they get four swats. Because with age comes responsibility. With knowledge comes accountability. Okay? So that's how we have applied this principle in our house. Just, just one of those things. So, so he says that we all stumble in many things. But now listen, here, here's the contrast. And here's where we're kind of coming into uh, the, the main topic of tonight. He says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect, a mature man or woman, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, basically what this means is if you can hold your tongue, and remember, remember I kind of asked you that. How many of you have, have been in that position where you had to hold your tongue and then finally it's like it just overcame you and you had to say it anyway and you did it, right? And then later you regretted it, usually. Sometimes you're just like, no, I feel good. Well, you should, you should, you should have regretted it, right? Again, this is, a, this is an exhortation to be more mature. So, you know, if you can hold your tongue, basically is what he's saying here. If you can hold your tongue, he says, you can keep yourself from any sinful act, right? The hardest thing to do is not to say the things that you want to say. Those things, they come out so easily. Now, to go and punch somebody in the face, you know, there's a lot of things that can stop you from doing that. Right, there's just the fears, like, I'm not a very good fighter. They're bigger than I am. Oh, you know, ooh, you know, I really don't want to get, like, you know, my face, it's pretty. I don't want to have it broken up or anything like that. You know, like, no, no. Yeah, there, there, there'd be a lot of things to do that. But you know what? You're sitting there talking with your brother, right? You're talking with a sister. You're talking with, you know, like, I, I got a brother. He's seven years older than me. Beat me half my life. You know, it's like, I know what it feels like to want to say something. But sometimes you're restrained by... Um, the, the physical threat of violence, but you know, words are a lot easier. You know, you know, there was a ton of times that I'd tell off, that I'd tell my brother off, and I'd just like yell back at him. He'd be like, and I go, like this, right? If you can control your tongue, you can control yourself from doing anything, right? Any sinful act, and, and you say, really? Yep. And this is why, because your tongue is directly attached to your heart. Right? You remember that, you know, that whole thing, you know, your head bone's connected to your neck bone, right? Well, they, they got it wrong a little. Well, that was all bones. But, you know, really in the end, it's your tongue muscles connected to your heart. You know, it, it's just like that, right? Your tongue is, a, is directly connected to your heart. So the things that come out of your heart, the things that are in your heart affect your tongue. It, it goes wild, right? And it's very difficult. All you got is your teeth and your lips to try to hold back that unruly evil, okay? So, um... We're going to keep going in here. So now he says in verse three, so now he's going to give us a couple of of examples of what the tongue is like. And I'm moving quickly because I only have a little bit of time, but he says, indeed, he says, if we put bits in horse's mouth, so we're, we're going to start with this. It's a bit. Okay. It's also going to describe it as a small rudder and a fire. Okay. Those are the three things that he's going to use to describe the tongue. So now think about a bit. He says, indeed, we put bits in horse's mouths that they may obey us. Okay, so you, you guys know what the bit is, right? It's that metal piece that goes in there. I don't know if you know it, but the bit actually causes the horse pain. So when you yank on it, have you guys ever seen like that body worlds, the body works thing, where they have like the, 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 the it's like the plasticized people, like in the, all the different positions and all that kind of stuff. Have you ever seen the horse one, where you actually see like all the muscles in a horse and you just go like, wow, a horse is really, really strong. Right, they are powerful. Any of you uh, think that you could like stand up to it, like a, if you put like a rope around a horse's neck and you grab the other side and they swatted the horse to run that way and you're going to try to keep the horse from running away? Did any of you think you'd win? What would happen? Wah! Off you go, right? Just like in those old cowboy movies, you'd be dragging along, right? You've got no chance at stopping the horse. Yet, 
my daughter, Chloe, can sit atop a horse, a powerful, big horse, and she has, and she can make that horse go anywhere she wants. Why? Because of the bit, right? The bit controls that huge, powerful animal. And a little girl like my Chloe can take it and go, go this way, go that way, yeah, and the horse will do it. Okay, your tongue is the same matter. Now, now I want you to see this. That's your tongue in your body. Okay, your tongue is like the bit that controls the power of your body. Think about your body. Think about all that you can do with your body. Yet this little member right here can control you. Now you think, how does my tongue control me? We're going to get to that in just a second. Okay, he says, with it we turn their whole body. But now he gives another example. So I, I just want you to see it. The tongue is that, that instrument that turns the whole body, just like a horse, okay? And it will turn your whole body. Now he says, look also at ships. Okay, so now we're looking at like big sailboats, okay? He says, although they are so large, anybody here can pick up a, a boat? Rich was just telling us that you know, his, his dad's big crane can lift up 40 tons, or 40,000 pounds, that's what it was, 40,000 pounds. And some of those big ships um, at boat shows weigh 40,000 pounds, so you can pick it up. So imagine that, that's, that's the ship, okay? He says, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, and you know, you know, wind is a very powerful force of nature, right? And you have those big sails up like that, and those winds are blowing on it, taking that 40,000 pounds and pushing it like it was nothing, right? He says, and they are driven by fierce winds. He says, they are turned by what? A very small rudder. Think about the rudder on a ship. How big is it compared to the rest of the ship? It's not that big, is it? It's really small. It's relatively small. You think about how big, how powerful that ship is. You have 40,000 pounds, huge winds pushing it, and that ship is strong enough to withstand those winds. And yet, you got a pilot that has this little rudder, and he just goes like this, and the ship goes, and he turns the course of the direction of it. Right? He can literally change the direction of this giant ship being driven by fierce winds by this little tiny rudder. That's your tongue, and that's you. You are the ship. Your tongue is the rudder, and the, the, the pilot can shift the direction, the course of that ship by the tongue. Right? Your whole nature, can, the direction that you go as a person can be shifted by that little member, the tongue. And you think, how? Don't worry. Stop asking. We're going to get there. I promise. He says, even so, verse 5, the, the, so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. What does it boast? That it can turn you any way it wants. It's a little member, but it can boast great things. It can turn you. That's what he's talking about here. Okay, then he, he, he's going to compare it. Now he's going to kind of change the diagram. First, it's th- these things that can change the course because that's what a bit does. A bit allows us to change the direction of the horse. The rudder allows us to change the direction of the, of the boat. But now he's going to change the illustration. Now he's going to talk about the tongue being a fire. Anybody here, have you guys been near like a big fire that got out of control? Uh, we, we had one, uh, you know, we live right over here in, at the base of Anaheim Hills. Uh, it's, it's still, we're still Anaheim and Anaheim Hills is a little bit further up, but w- remember when the 91 on the 91 freeway, all those Hills back there, back by Yorba Linda, remember when they caught on fire and my, some friends of ours who live in Yorba Linda had to evacuate their house and everything. And I remember, uh, we saw fire over at Savvy Ranch where the Costco is on this side of the freeway, not on that side where they were, but there was some of it had literally skipped the freeway and started lighting over there. And that's like in the areas where we are. And it was like, Oh, Oh, Wow. Right, and it's just like remember, it's like all it takes is one little spark to get that going. One little cigarette, fl- you know, flung out the window, 
can cause a huge fire. And, and what does a fire do? It burns. What else is it? How does it burn? By consuming something, right? And so he says, now he's going to, he's going to show us. He says, see how great a forest. So great forest, huge things. And, and, and you've watched on the news sometimes when whole forests go up and hundreds of homes get burned down and acres upon thousands of acres in national forests literally burned down from one little match, right? He says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And he goes, and listen, the tongue is a fire. See, the tongue, your tongue can consume you. You're like, really? Yes. That little member that can shape, it can change your whole course of nature. It is also a fire and it can burn you and it can consume you. Seriously. In Proverbs uh, 10.19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Right? The, the, the tongue, it, it, it likes to say a lot of stuff. It likes to, to, to move and speak, and, and it burns us. You know, how, how many times have anybody had somebody say something to you that absolutely just destroyed you? I have. You know, there are times where it's like, you know, words are powerful, and, and, and they can just like, they can get in, and they can just, that, that's like skipping the freeway, and, and they burn you. But now, at the same time, have any of you ever said something, and then later you so regretted it? You so regretted it. And do you remember how it just like consumed you inside? And like you stayed up at night, you couldn't sleep and you're just like, you were restless. And it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said it. And it's like, and th- those words that you spoke, they stay inside of you and they consume you. They hollow you out. It's like, why did I ever say that? I wish I never would have said that. Right? That's what the tongue can do. He says, the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Right? It defiles the whole body. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, we already studied this on Sundays. He said, hear and understand. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. See, our tongue, though it's a small little thing in our body, you know, hey, you, know, you can touch all sorts of stuff with your hands. You, you can drink out of unclean bowls and all that kind of stuff. And in the end, Jesus said, hey, it goes in your mouth and it comes out. That's it. He says, that's not what defiles you before your God. But... He says, the things that come out of your mouth, the things that your tongue utters, he says, those are the things that will defile you before your God. Now, I, I hear it all the time, and, and every, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, when people say, oh, you know, cussing's no big deal, because they're just sounds, it doesn't mean anything. It, you know, if, if somebody was cussing at me in Spanish, I might think he was just saying something nice. It doesn't really matter, so I can cuss. It's like, you know, that is the lamest excuse I've ever heard in my life, and it drives me nuts when people use it. Don't use it. Well, if you do, don't use it in front of me because you'll see a different side of me. Okay? It really drives me nuts because Jesus right here, very very easily understood, he says that it is not what comes into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out. What comes out, he's not talking about vomit or anything like that. He's talking about your words, which sometimes can be worse than vomit. Okay? He is talking about the things you speak, cursing, and and the like these things will defile you and those are all from your, that tongue your tongue is it's a symbol here it's, it's not he's not talking about your physical tongue right by the way he's talking about what your tongue is attached to it, it's a symbol of something else and we're going to get to that in just a second he says and so it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature now here's where we kind of get into it so here's this principle about your tongue Okay, it it sets on fire the course of nature. So here it is. This is the basic thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. How you speak will direct the way you act. 
Let me say that one more time. How you speak will direct the way you act. You see people who are very sinful, oftentimes they have a what, what kind of mouth? A clean, nice, fancy, nice mouth? Or a gutter mouth, dirty mouth, right? The, the people who do the most grave sin and atrocities, also it's accompanied by just disgusting things that come out of their mouths, right? All the time. How you speak will direct the way you act. So I want to kind of give you a little bit of an order. We're going to back up a little bit. We're going to get to the tongue now in just a second, but we're going to kind of, we're going to start from the beginning and move to where the words come out of your mouth, okay? It's, I, I call it the order of sin. Um, here we go. Number one, first, the sin nature wants. Okay, that's the first aspect of it. You know, our sin nature desires something. Um, then two, the eyes see, and you could also say the ears hear, and fill the heart. Then the heart moves the tongue, and then the tongue directs the course of the body. And that's what we're going to see here in James 3. So you say, okay, well, that sounds all well and good. Do you have any scripture for it? Why, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, thank you for asking. Number one. The sin nature wants. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he was saying that in a positive light, but you know, at the same time, how many of you have longed for something that wasn't good for you? Anybody? Ever? Absolutely. Your sin nature wants it. You begin to crave it. You begin to fantasize about it. You begin to think about it. Right? It's that sin nature. Even though you know you shouldn't have it, even though you know it's not right, you know it's not good, all the times that I sinned that my mom didn't know anything about it, and don't tell her, okay? Um, all, all of those things that I did, I knew I shouldn't be doing. I, I had a conviction in my heart that it was wrong, and yet I did it anyway. Okay? My sin nature wants. Right? It longs for. It lusts after. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, there it is. So that's the beginning. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Right? I put my treasure in something that my, like my sin nature wants something and it goes after it. That's the beginning. Then the eyes see and fill the heart. In Matthew 6, 22 and 23, Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So it begins with a lust. It begins with a desire. It begins with our sin nature craving something. So we go after it. And then we begin to take it in. We fill it in. We fill it in. And it fills our hearts with darkness. Okay, then... The heart moves the tongue. Matthew twelve thirty four says, Jesus speaking to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees again, he says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Now listen, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word, here it is, Every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Finally, the tongue directs the course of the body, and that's what we're looking at right here in James. So do you guys see it? Do you see the progress of our, our, our sin nature desiring, our eyes seeing, filling the heart, the heart overflows and speaks out of our, our mouths and our mouth becomes a bit, it becomes a rudder, it becomes a fire and it literally steers the course of the nature of our bodies. It consumes all that is good and leaves nothing but ash in its path. And, and, and that's what it does. And it says here in verse six that it is set on fire by hell. Now you go, okay, well, which hell? I know of like Shiloh, or not Shiloh, um, uh, what's it called? Sheol. Sheol, thank you. Man, I am getting old. That's twice. Sunday it happened too. 
man, Sheol, right? Is it Sheol? Is it Hades? Is it Gehenna? Which is it? It's Gehenna, right? It's Gehenna. And, and you know, really in the end, think about this. Your sin nature wants hell. Did you know that? Yeah, that's kind of a, a heavy statement, isn't it? Your sin nature wants to go to hell. Some of you are looking at me kind of funny. Oh, I'll, let, let me just wax gross for a moment. A moth goes unwittingly to the flame, doesn't it? It sees the flame. It doesn't know that the flame will destroy it. All it knows is, oh, there's light. I'm going to the light. Anybody ever been camping, seen like moths flying into the fire? Yeah, it's like, yeah, there they go. But eternity has been placed in the heart of men. We know there's an afterlife. No matter how much we try to deny it, say, oh, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I'm a whatever. In the end, they know. Right? They know. That's why Voltaire on his deathbed, even though he, had, he tried to snuff out the light of the gospel, in the end, he died on his bed cursing God. You don't curse somebody that doesn't exist. Right? If you really don't believe that somebody exists, you're not going to curse them. Right? He wasn't car- cursing leprechauns and fairies. Right? Because he knew they didn't exist. Okay? But in the end... Eternity has been placed in our hearts. And yet, um, how many people, you, you guys see people smoking cigarettes all the time, right? Do you know that on cigarettes, now, number one, they cost like a million dollars for a box of cigarettes, right? So I don't understand why people would do it anyway. But then, not only that, but then on the boxes, of, there's pictures of people like with their throats all cut up. And Jan used to bring pictures of that home to her kids so they could see it to curb them from wanting to smoke, right? Where you can look up through their chin and see their eyeballs, right? Yeah. Right, And yet, people see those, people know, and anybody who smokes, every single one of them know that smoking is bad for them, it causes cancer, and it will eventually catch up and kill them. Yet, how many people smoke? A lot. The same principle is at work in our members, in our bodies, in our soul. We know that there is a God. We know that there is an afterlife. We know, but we don't care. Because for, you know, for, for the desire of a little pleasure... Right for um, the preservation of our pride, we will curse God and die, like Job's wife had told him to do. Curse God and die. And you know what? We go to hell happy. Yes, I don't have to be with him. Right? That's our sin nature. It's at enmity with God. That means deep-seated hatred. Right? It hates God. It doesn't want anything to do with God. It wants to go to hell. That's the thing that we have to fight. That's that urge in us that's causing us to sin. That's that urge that tells Christian men to watch pornography, right? It's that desire for hell that's in us that's saying, oh, a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of pleasure, just go for it. Oh, you don't need to humble yourself. You know, hold on to your pride, right? It wants hell. Our flesh hates God and yearns to rebel against his rule over our lives. That's just a, that's just a truth. Right, he says, for every kind of beast, bird, reptile, creature of the sea is tamed. Like I, I see people walking around with rats on their shoulders, and they're like kissing them and stuff. It's like, Ew. you know. And, and then I see you know people with birds, and the birds are pooping all over the place. It's like, dude, can you control that? Put a diaper on the thing or something. What? You know, hey, all these things, all the animal kingdom, we can control, but no man can tame the tongue. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? That's pretty depressing. But you know what? You know what I put in, in my notes right there for no man can contain the tongue, but God but God. You know, on our own, we're just like Solomon, you know, like saying in Ecclesiastes, oh, everything under the sun is bad. Oh, boo, 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 hoo. You know, hey, you know what? Yeah, life without God under the sun, worthless, empty, vain, nothing worthwhile. It's chaff. It, it, it's the, it's the um, you know, the pig's ears that are deep fried and fat and all the other just like poofy little, yeah, 
That's what I'm talking about, right? That's life without God. That's what, that's, hey, that, that, that's, that's what Paul, Solomon said. You want to know, understand uh, Ecclesiastes? It's life is pork rinds without God, period. Okay, that's it. That's a paraphrase. Okay, so, but that's basically what it is, right? We can't, we can't do this without God. We can't hold our tongue. We can't, we can't curb this unruly beast without God, but with God, all things are possible. You guys remember that? Think about that. Write it down. Remember that. With God, all things are possible, right? And even though it is an uncontrollable evil, that's what unruly means, full of deadly poison. Think about the things that we say to people. And then here's the contradiction that, again, here it is. Here's the exhortation for the mature believer. He says, with it, we bless our God and Father with our tongue, with our heart, right? We've been singing praise songs right now. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And I'll even take it a step further for those men and those women who Christ died for. We praise our God and we curse men and we curse women. Mm. Doesn't sit well, does it? He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And here's the exhortation. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. He's really gracious saying that like, like that. He should just say, shut your mouth. But he doesn't. He's really nice. He says, my brethren... He says, these things ought not to be so. That's our exhortation tonight. These things ought not to be so. We need to be mature men and women. We need to have control over the things that we say. We need to control that course of nature. Our our tongue yielded to the Spirit is a bit and a bridle that will keep us from evil. Right, Our tongue, uh, under the submission to the Holy Spirit, is like a rudder that will turn us, even though, think about it, when those emotions come up, they're like, they're like fierce winds blowing at a strong ship, and you want to say what you want to say, and the devil's like, this? And you're like, yes! Right? But our spirit, in submission to the Holy Spirit, is like a rudder turning us from that, moving us this way. And our tongue, in submission to the Holy Spirit, is like a fire that will devour the sin in our life. It will devour the things that are unholy. It will devour the things that are unrighteous, the things that, that cause God to be sorrowful in our lives, that quench the Holy Spirit when it's in submission to God. He says, these things ought not to be so. He says, does a, a spring send forth fresh water and bitter or salt water? From the same opening, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And our mouths should not bear cursings and blessings. They should only be blessings. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be so. And if you struggle controlling your temper, controlling your mouth, if you're not quick to listen and slow to speak, but you are quick to wrath, then guys, you know what? We need to hear this exhortation. We need to, to bridle our bodies with the words that we speak, the way that we speak. Are we gracious? Are we rude? Are, you know, what are we? The words that we speak should be a gift to every single person. They should bear the good news of Jesus Christ. As He bore our sin on the cross, we need to bear His righteousness and holiness in our hearts and in our mouths. And in the things that we do, Amen? Told you it was an exhortation tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. Lord, we know that our tongues, Lord, and really in the end it's our hearts that are an unruly beast, an unruly evil, Lord, that no man can tame. But Lord, we know that your spirit can do all things. 
Lord, you are our strength. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to to just use our tongues, Lord, to use our hearts, Lord, submit them to you, to fill them full of light. Lord, I pray that when we long for that thing which we know is wrong, Lord, that your spirit would be there to convict us and say no. Lord, that we would not allow wickedness into our eyes and into our ears, Lord, but that we, like your servant Job, would make a covenant with our eyes. And Lord, we pray that as we fill our hearts with light and good and beautiful things, praiseworthy things, holy things, that our words would be gracious, grace seasoned with salt, ambassadors representing you well, pleading with the world to be saved, to be reconciled to you. Lord, set on course, set on fire at the course of nature, Lord, but in a good way. And Lord, if there is salt water and fresh water both coming from our mouths and from our hearts, Lord, we pray that you would help us to put an end to that, that we would only bless, that we would love our enemies, that we would love our neighbors, that we would love our wives and our children and our husbands. Help us to be the men and the women that you have called us to be. Help us to take these exhortations from your servant James and apply them to our lives. We ask in faith, not doubting, in Jesus' name. Amen.